Well, good morning, guys. If you got your Bibles, if you could uh, go ahead and open up to Acts 6. Um, a couple caveats before we kind of move into the day. Uh, number one, um, I am, 2 Corinthians 1, I was reading in my personal time of the Word this morning, 2 Corinthians 1 talks about where Paul talks about, I feel like I've been afflicted so that you could be comforted. And uh, I, I just, it's interesting, you know, first five conference, um, I am now, right now, finishing up my literal first five. And uh, we kind of, over the last five years at the bridge, we've got a saying that we've uh, well earned. Our saying is we discover landmines by stepping on them. That's what our leadership, it's kind of a leadership axiom at the bridge. We discover landmines by stepping on them. And so what I'm doing today is I'm really speaking out of the fact that I've, we have made more and worse mistakes probably than anyone in this room either has or is going to make. And I'm going to speak out of those things uh, during the next few minutes. The other thing I want to just give one quick caveat. These guys asked me to really speak specifically to the issue of staffing in the first five years of church planning. Here's an unfortunate reality of me taking the next like a few minutes to talk about staffing. There's another leadership axiom we have at the bridge is health is the goal, growth is a result. And so we say is growth does not equal health, but healthy things grow. And so we don't ever want to be that church that's all about just get the line graph to go up every single week. That's not us. At the same time, me talking about staffing, there's a raw reality that I've got to talk about numbers when it comes to staffing. So I don't want you to hear like my story, our story, and how we approach staffing. Go, man, that guy's just all about the numbers. That's how he functions. That's not us. That's just a raw reality of me taking time to address what staffing in the first five years needs uh, needs to look like. So what I wanna do really, really, really fast in the next few minutes, I wanna hit the two issues that are the most, I'm, I'm speaking, they asked me to speak real practically. I want to hit the two issues that are the most practical. They, they almost function like uh, like choke points or st- uh, strategic dams when it comes to kind of the, the flow of what happens in those first five years of a church plant. Real quick, let me use an analogy to set up me rushing through these two things, and then you kind of roll with me, okay? Here's the problem I got when anytime I'm talking to pastors or church leaders about stuff like this. The problem I have is there's two types of people in the room that naturally both hate each other. There's one guy in the room who's the Bible preacher. He's all about the flow of the Holy Spirit. He wants to be theologically and doctrinally sound. And that's his thing. By the way, that's me. That's kind of my natural bent is to be this guy. On the other hand, there's the guy that likes to start with pragmatism. He loves the spreadsheets. He likes systems and structures, administration. On the prophet, priest, king, trichotomy, he's like king, king, king. Like that's that guy. These two guys typically butt heads, okay? What we found at the bridge is that there's, and you see it in the Bible. Actually, let's go ahead and get to the text. I want, I want to lift out. Look at Acts 6 and read with me verses 1 through 7. This is a passage you're really familiar with. I want to unfold a couple implications, like very poignant implications from these seven verses. Pick up with me in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven... Now listen to these adjectives. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Now pause. I wonder why Why did they look for those specific characteristics? Why? You need to ask yourself that question. Whom we will appoint to this duty. 
but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. Now listen to verse 7. You should read verse 7 as an implication of what happened in verses 1 through 6. That's why it's there, right tied into the previous paragraph. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith." Here's the analogy, okay? The analogy that you got to use with the, the prophet dude that loves the flow of the Holy Spirit and the administrative spreadsheets nerd that always wants to ask you what's the, what's the strategy. Here's the analogy we found at the bridge really helpful, okay? If you're going to irrigate a, a crop or a field, you need two things, okay? Number one, you, need, you obviously need water. You don't have water, you have no life. At the same time, you also need a well-structured, well-planned irrigation system to ensure that that water gets everywhere that it needs to go and health can go and flourish among the entire crop. Now, here's what happens. If you have water but no irrigation system, you get a flood, and that's awesome. That's great. But the water's never going to get where it needs to go, so you're going to have large parts of the crop that just kind of die on the vine and the crop can never continue to grow. At the same time, so that's, that's if all you have is profit, 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 pray, 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 and none of this, that's what you're going to get. And you'll see that in the first, first five years. On the other hand, if you plant and you do not have a heart that bleeds to see the spirit fall on your church in deep prayer, love of the word, discipleship with one another, walking in the light. If you have that, you can have all of the perfect administration systems. You can have memorized Nelson Searcy up and down. You can do all that stuff. And all, all the systems can be right. But if all you have is a trickle of water, it doesn't matter. Nothing's going to grow. It does, you can have the perfect laid irrigation system. It's not going to grow because you don't have enough water. What we need is we need, in the first five years, you have to become someone who pleads with God for the water of his spirit to fall in your ministry and in your preaching and your pastoring. But you've also got to be somebody who takes the time to wisely plan and lay all of the piping systems so the water gets where it needs to go. So really quick, I am really, I, I've got to move real, real quickly, okay? Number one, let me make one observation. This should be, this is the most comforting observation in the entire passage. Here's my observation. So this passage is about the 12. You guys know the story. The spirit descends. The gospel just begins to break forward like a tidal wave from Jerusalem and outward in concentric circles, okay? And so there's this great movement of the gospel that's just taken over people everywhere. And you see it all throughout the New Testament. Now, here's the observation I wanna make that's super comforting to me. My observation is anytime these guys, these 12, they preached or they led, the observation is, listen, this is very important. It's very comforting. The power of their words always exceeds their quality. When you read them in the New Testament, okay? The power of their words always exceeds their quality. Here's what I mean. You have never read a sermon in the New Testament, put down your Bible and thought to yourself, now that would headline catalyst. You've never done, and you're never gonna read one. You're never gonna read a single sermon anywhere in the Bible and pause and go, that's the next headliner at the next conference. What happened was these men were so full of God's spirit and God's spirit fell. And because the spirit, the water of the spirit just fell and baptized their ministries with power, it didn't matter. 
They were preaching the gospel, and it was anointed with power, and it just burst forward with an, un, an unstoppable force is what you found. This is, it doesn't matter what system structures, how kingly you are. If you have this, if this is present in your life and in your church, nothing can stop you. There's nothing that can stop you. I'm reading a, a biography of George Whitfield right now. And uh, one time somebody approached, I just read this this week. This guy approaches George Whit- Whitfield and asks him, you know, uh, Reverend Whitfield, uh, it is the first request he'd ever gotten to print his sermons, to put them into print like Charles Spurgeon had done. And so Reverend, Reverend Whitfield, uh, can, we, can we begin to print your sermons? And his response was, you may print the words, but you cannot print the lightning and the thunder. I love that so much. <laughs> What he's saying is you can print all the words you want, but it's the power and the presence of the Spirit of God that is capturing men by the tens of thousands. He's saying, fine, print the words, great, but you can't print the Spirit. Now, you know, we obviously have a different take on that now, but the the sentiment is good. The other great analogy is J.I. Packer, arguably the greatest living theologian right now, J.I. Packer, uh, experienced a great, I think he was converted under Martin Lloyd-Jones' preaching in Great Britain while he was at Cambridge. If not, he experienced an outpouring God's spirit while he was there. Somebody asked J.I. Packer a few years ago, what was it like to sit under Dr. Lloyd-Jones' preaching? And his response was, it came to me with a force of electric shock. I love that. What they're saying, they're hitting on this fact. You see it everywhere in the New Testament that when the Spirit descends on you, your church, your ministry, your small group, your core group, it doesn't matter what you do or don't have in place. That is completely unstoppable. The best way to encapsulate this is the best way to understand the presence of the Spirit in your ministry is when you have the Spirit moving in your ministry, nothing can stop it, can stop you. But when you don't, what you're going to find is that literally anything can stop you. The tiniest little policy, the tiniest little thing can stop you. So the first thing, before I get into anything practical, I just want to say, you will see this. If you're not pleading for God's spirit to be all over your ministry, if you're not on your face in prayer, you're in deep personal repentance, if you're not loving the word and preaching the word, nothing else matters. You, can, you don't have irrigation systems and no water. If you got to choose one or the other, choose that one. Okay? So you see that here. Now, let me hit two really practical irrigation system things, and then uh, you're going to disagree with some things I say in the next few minutes. Fair warning. You're, you are going to disagree with some things I say. Write down some questions, and then we get to the Q&A. Let's, let's debrief those together. Number one, two, two things. How to handle the counseling workload in the first five years is hell. So let's talk about that. And then two, I want to hit that real quick and then hit staffing. Counseling, okay? Counseling. Here's what I tried to do early on. I'm a Southern Seminary guy. It's my alma alma mater. Southern Seminary, incredible biblical counseling program. It's awesome. Love being there. But while I was there, here's here's what I picked up on while I was there, to be really honest. I kind of picked up on this mentality. I call it the myth of the omnicompetent pastor. So I felt what I they may not have said this, but what I felt like was being said was, listen, if you can't counsel, if you can't do it all, if you can't walk with these couples through these things, you're not a real pastor. Okay, that's what I felt like was being told. If you can't do all this stuff, then you're not a real pastor. That's what I tried to do. I tried to do all of the counseling load in the first few years that I was at the bridge. And here's what ended up happening. There was a threefold effect. I was drained all the time. The church suffered because I sucked at it. And people were always angry. 
That was it. That was, those three things always happened. I was drained. The church suffered because I sucked at it. And people were angry also because I sucked at it. So they were wondering, like, why are we not, you know, why, are, why is the progress so slow? Why is this, you know, that kind of thing? So there's this myth, all right, this myth of the omnicompetent pastor. You've got to be an administrator, a leader, a theologian, an apologist, a counselor, a preacher, uh, you know, all these things, okay? Myth, I call it the myth of the omnicompetent pastor. Here's what happens if you believe the myth of the omnicompetent pastor. Two things happen. One, if your church believes it, it's going to be really, really, they're going to always be frustrated with you. If, they, if your church believes the myth, or your core team believes the myth of the omnicompetent pastor, they're going to be always frustrated with you because you're not that. And I don't care who you are, you're not that. But there's something way worse than your church believing the myth of the omnicompetent pastor. Here's what it is. You believing the myth of the omnicompetent pastor. You see, if your church believes it, they're going to be pissed at you. If you believe it, it will absolutely crush you. That's what will put you in a counseling chair, in my experience because I've actually sat in a counseling chair for a year. That's the thing that'll put you in the counseling chair. So you've got to get to the spot, I think, where you realize I'm not that, okay? Now, let me make a quick observation. Look down at the text. Look down where in these adjectives. Remember, they're distributing food among, this is essentially benevolence ministry, okay? That's, that's what deed ministry. Look down at the verse three, the, 